mark on the door. In their motorboat, the sleuth, Frank and Joe Hardy search Barment Bay for a dangerous stranger who has stolen a valuable boat. Suddenly, in the eerie fog, they spot the craft drifting aimlessly out to sea. What happens next starts the young detectives and their pal Chet Morton on an intriguing adventure that takes them to Mexico and into the comparatively unexplored desert and mountain regions of Baja, California. The search for the meaning behind a mysterious symbol that terrorizes the people of an entire village, a daring escape from a submarine, perilous encounters with a band of renegade Indians, an unusual smuggling operation, all combine to make this one of the Hardy's most exciting cases. Now that they have somebody to babysit the burrows, yeah, that Chet. yeah, Chet just gets left just there. Chunk. Alone. Chunk just gets like left. Give him some rocky road. Yeah, exactly, and a big monster friend. <laughs> um, that's what he needs. I would love if that became a character. If it so, actually happened. If Sloth showed up in <laughs> in the Hardy Boys, it would change everything. Everything. It's 2018 and everyone gets a podcast. Mine is the Hardy Boys Drink Book. Each week, I sit down with creative and hilarious people to talk about a book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. Then, we have a custom cocktail to sip while we read. Today, I'm joined by actress Missy Moore, and in the cocktail section, Jack and I are sipping margaritas. It's the one-year anniversary of the Hardy Boys Drink Book. Thanks for everybody who's been tuning in, and keep checking back. We have a lot of great content coming up over the summer. Travel down to Mexico, meet an Aztec cult, and sabotage a submarine that you are currently on in The Hardy Boys Drink Book, number 13, The Mark on the Door, featuring Missy Moore. Hello, detectives. I am here with Missy Moore. Hi, Missy. Hi. Missy is an actress and director and all-around amazing person. Missy, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. So we are reading today the 13th, Lucky 13th, book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series, and this is The Mark on the Door. Missy, what were your first thoughts on The Mark on the Door? My first thought is, I was like, oh, 13. Goodness, for some reason, I'm that odd person who actually likes that number. Yeah. The Mark on the Door, looking at the cover. The boys are in some, actually, a little bit of a change-up outfit for the Hardy Boys. They're in, like, rough desert gear. Looks like they bought desert outfits. But they still have the blue and the red Blue and the red. You got to have the right color Mm -hmm. shirts. And then there is a bandito, I guess. He looks like he's dressed as a bandito for Halloween. Right? I mean, he's got the sombrero. Sombrero, a machete. Yeah. And then what's the thing around the shoulders? What's that called? A serap. A serap. I don't know how you pronounce it. I read it in this book a couple times. Okay. Great. (laughs) Serape. And then... The mark on the door, they make it very clear what they're talking about on the cover because it's clearly a bundle of sticks that have been set on fire with the letter P over them. That's so funny because when I initially looked at it, I was like, that looks like asparagus. Oh, oh, it really it's, looks like asparagus. It's kind of a little red at the top, and I don't know about, like, in the P, is that, like... Because of what it does? <laughs> uh, well, anyway, um, so that's the cover. 
Uh, before we get too far into the story, a little bit about the Hardy Boys mystery series. The Hardy Boys mystery books were originally written by Franklin W. Dixon in the 1920s. Franklin W. Dixon is better known as uh, the inventor of mass spectrometry <laughs> instrumentation, <laughs> as we all know, obviously. You know, uh, hello. Hello. It's the Dixon. Everybody knows what that is. He wrote these children's books, these children's mysteries. He wrote them in the 20s. They were heavily updated in the 50s and 60s to make the text shorter, to make the boys a little bit more respectful of authority clean up some of the cultural insensitivity, which for this book, I really can't wait to go back and read the original edition and find out what things were sanitized for the Hardy Boys, because this doesn't seem like there was a lot of sanitization going on. I would have to agree with that. Uh, I did take note of how some of the women are described in the book. Oh, I love it. One of my favorite recurring things, uh, Mitch Slevik pointed this out, that every single woman is described... And he went through all the descriptions, and it was like, lovely, sweet, pretty, kind. And it's like all these words, except Aunt Gertrude, who was described as unmarried. Yep, there was that. Uh, Along with, it it was usually two adjectives that lent more towards the physical nature and not the emotional nature of a woman. Because... You know, the important things. My first note, I wrote it at, I wrote it in, in um, addressing the very first line of the book, which, look, a periscope. Joe Hardy shouted. Are you sure? Asked his brother Frank, who was at the wheel of their motorboat. You bet. Look over there. I just wrote, nope, nope. I don't believe, like, one, where are you? Who are these people? Like, oh, they're in Barmet Bay. Yeah, <laughs> and I say that next. But it's just like any other book would have them be like, they're just going to go out for some other reason, and then while they're on the bay, they happen to see a periscope, and that leads to a mystery. What's the point of all that exposition, though, when the boys can just start it at the periscope? So I was definitely irritated in the first three sentences. And the the fact that they can see it also is terrible spy craft. If like two teenage boys, they're like, it must belong to the U.S. Navy. But then, yeah, it's just the mystery starts right away, and then they get what rammed by a boat. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, that happens that, so much uh, to these boys. Uh, Pancho Cardillo <laughs> oh, you rammed go- him with the Ira Q, which was rented from Sandy McPherson, the Scottish boat rental guy. Uh, oh, the Scottish boat rental guy. Yeah, I like that because they he see... He really got the short end of the stick, that one. That yes, poor character. He got, he got pretty screwed over. But they see this periscope, and then a boat tries to ram them, and they can tell that the name of the boat is the Ira Q, mm-hmm. which... They don't recognize. And so they're like, must be a transient because they know the name of every single boat in the Bayport area. Well, sorry, boys. Yeah, I guess. And then they can tell that the guy uh, is who's driving it, they're like, he looked like a Spaniard. It must have been the sombrero and the serape. Um, Was he wearing any of that stuff? They they said, but you know, no, they immediately spot that he looks like a Spaniard. So they go to check out. So that's a little bit racist. Yeah, that they profiled that guy on, on site. Right. But then Isn't they, that illegal? Not in 1958 or whatever the heck year this is. The Actually, it was probably encouraged in 1958. I wouldn't be surprised. They go to find out where that boat came from. Why they don't just let it go? I don't know. They're mystery solvers. And the boat has been rented, and the guy who owns it is this Scottish dude, Mr. McPherson. 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 Um, Yar! Like, he is kind of a pirate a little bit. Yeah, he is. And then he's like, no, it was that Mexican fellow. And I was like, I thought he was Spaniard. But I guess he's Mexican, so they were close. But please tell me that when you read Pancho Cardillo. Pancho Cardillo. It was like, bum, bum, bum. Yeah. They do a good, I don't know why that particular name 
It does. They they definitely bestow it with a lot of dramatic weight. Right? Like this this is not who you thought this person was. But what's so weird, and I know I don't understand how business transactions worked in the past, apparently, but apparently you have to like tell people where you're staying. No, because it's always it's always they ask go to some store and they're like the grocery store and they're like is there a guy in town with like red hair and a no, beard? No, yeah, just saw him yesterday. Yeah. He's right over He's here. He's staying right? down One, two, at this three, ABCD. Yeah, street? and so this the guy who rented the boat he's at the hotel Bayport. Go there. All of this stuff seems so unnecessary to the mystery in general. Very much, but can we also just talk about the timeline of the first chapter? Yes, let's break that down, because it moves fast. It moves very fast, but if we were to actually really logically think about when this took place, uh, it would take a lot longer. Like, days? Days, yeah. (laughs) Days? No, it's one thing, though. It's see the boat, go to the... Yeah, and they can make, like, quick little calls... Everybody answers right away. They oh call gosh, the coast. at the hotel. Oh my gosh, now we're not at the hotel. We're back at the docks. And they, all of a sudden, we're in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, it's like a video game. They're blinking all over the place from yeah. one interactive thing to the next. When they go to the hotel, they ask for his room number, and they're like, oh, you mean Senor Cardillo. He, he checked out a few minutes ago, paid his bill in pesos. And you're like, one, that wasn't necessary. But also, no, I'm not going to give you the guy's room number. Who are you? Why would I tell you? Like, are you? And, um, are. <laughs> Are you 18? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you boys doing here? Are you joining Mr. Cardillo? Where are your parents? Your dad is Fenton Hardy, the internationally famous detective, right? I'll give him a call. Oh, who is described as an NYPD super sleuth. Yeah, he was. But now he's uh, he's retired to his private investigation and to running his criminal enterprise, which is what I think he's up to. Oh, I, oh. Ooh, I like where you're going, Charles. Yes. See, that's my whole fan theory for this whole series of books is that Fenton Hardy is running a massive criminal syndicate out of Bayport and that he uses the boys to take down his competition and run interference for the police. Yeah, well, I mean, let's – he has a plane, but we shall get to that. After they go check out the hotel and they come back to the boat rental place, they find the guy, Mr. McPherson – Knocked out. Knocked out on the ground. Mm -hmm. It's that fast. So he came back. He took a speedboat. And then I told him no. And that devil said he would take the Ira Q anyway. Oh, he wanted me speedboat. That's what it says. Okay. Um, And apparently he had friends with him. Yeah, because he's like Scottish. Wanted me speedboat. So (laughs) I don't even know if that's right. So at this point, I don't understand what the mystery is. There's the... A submarine. A submarine. That seems incidental. But then there's a... It's not even a stolen boat. It was like a rental boat that was treated badly. The next one is The Missing Witness. Okay, now there's, that's right, there's a third mystery that shows up. All in the first two chapters. Oh, the bookkeeper. Oh, yeah, that's, right. that's who's missing. So, but I forgot that the boys get knocked out. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Beginning, because, is, they go out to what? Look for the boat? Pancho Cardillo. Pancho Cardillo sneaks up on them. Uh, miraculously escapes uh, the Ira Q after he stole a second time. Right, and they find it drifting in the water, uh-huh. yeah. and then they Let's get on it. Let's go back to the original introduction. Suddenly, in the eerie fog, they spot the craft drifting aimlessly out to sea. So, from the Ira Q, Poncho got where on was he to... hanging off the side, or was he on the submarine nearby? Let's think about the periscope. How did the right? submarine get Poncho? Either way, they get knocked out, but they wake up just fine. Uh-huh. Um, and they the guys didn't like throw them in the. Oh, it says the boys reach into the salty water to bathe their bruises. Anyway, the police show up right away. And the boys go home. We get to meet the Hardy family. Oh, but wait. Let's let's just start a tally for a second. My tally is uh, should have died. Should have died. 
Right? So, right. So uh, we got tally number one. Tally number one. Because they should have been knocked out and then just pushed in the water. Right. So they go home. We get to meet the entire Hardy clan. They get apple pie, which is great. You got to have pie. Uh, Aunt Gertrude Aunt is Gertrude. described as tall and angular. Angular. And uh, the mother is described as slim and attractive. Yes. Well, Fenton tells them about the mystery that he's working on, right? Mm-hmm. And With it's Elmer Trammer. Elmer Trammer, um, who is a missing bookkeeper who was supposed to testify, right? Mm-hmm. In some corruption scandal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. That's all that you need to know. Missing bookkeeper. Fenton's on the case. But the missing bookkeeper is helping out uh, Senor Jose Martita. Yeah, there's a lot of very, like, flip through the Mexico City phone book names in Mm. in this. But I guess they're no different than the, like, they're just such standard, basic Mexican citizen names. Yeah, except for, I'm sorry, the horse breeder's son. I'm jumping way ahead. Alfredo. 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 (laughs) Um, I read it, and you're like, mm, Alfredo. And then I thought of Italian and not Mexican. Yeah, they were confused. They clearly were confused. Yeah. There are in the last book that we read, which took place uh, just off the coast of French Guiana in South America. The names were about fifty-fifty Ita- clearly Italian names, and like Jack said, the names of famous Hispanic people from television in the fifties. <laughs> Um, so, yeah. anyway, let's see. They decide to just go out on a boat. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. That has nothing to do with anything. No, it really doesn't. They're not doing any sleuthing or whatever. They just, like... No, and then we meet the pal Chet. Chet Morton, everybody's favorite character. Dude, can I tell you? Totally reminded me of Chunk from Goonies. Right. With he... just a dash of data, because, like, really, he ended up in a chimney. Right. Also... But only the second page in the newspaper. <laughs> He's got a little bit of Shaggy from Scooby-Doo in there, too. Oh, I can totally Because he like, gets scared, and he says, like, let's get out of here. He's that guy. Well, they go out on their boat, and Chet's got this whole plan. Uh, he's built a device. It's two metal pontoons. Let me just read this. He flung aside the tarp with one swoop. <laughs> Resting on top of two metal pontoons was a bare wooden frame, triangular in shape. At the apex was a delta wing of thin, light fabric. So it's a paraglider? He calls it a water kite. Yeah, well, it's kind of like a sailboat with wings. Right. But it's like he's going to stand on the pontoon thing, and then as the speedboat reaches high enough speed, it should lift him in the air. The motorboat called Sleuth. The Sleuth. Um, the amazing thing is that this works. This works the first time. There is no practice. He gets way up in the air, and then the rope breaks, and he's just free flying through he's the air. He's going like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Exactly. I just wrote cool because Chet is so cool. Um, yeah, and then he, when they finally catch up to him, he's holding on to a chimney, and the fire department has to come and get him down. And there's like reporters and photographers. Chet's my hero. That was so cool. He could have died so hard. Totally died so hard, but he only made the second page in the newspaper. Yeah, they they make a a point of that that he didn't make the front page. But like, he's a good friend, but he's really actually not that cool. No, he's not that cool. Couldn't even make the front page. Again, Hardy Boys, they make life, the front page all the time. Life lessons, my friends. Life lessons via the Hardy Boys. They find... Oh, okay. That's right. So, why are they looking through a car? Oh, it's like a car that was stolen near the dock. Anyway, whatever. It's They're chasing after... Trying to find clues on Pancho Cardillo. And it's around the same time as Chet does crashes his kite. But they find a ring. And the ring has a... They say Aztec, the, I'd say. Yeah, the insignia. Oh, right. It's... And it's the first introduction of the Indian. Oh, the look, Indians, Joe. I should say. Indian craftsmanship, I'll bet. I wrote, mm-hmm. what? 
Right? I was like, Indian craftsmanship. Geez. Aztec, I'd say. The insignia was a cluster of faggots from which a flame issued with a large letter P in the center of the design. Oh my gosh, that is totally highlighted in my book right now because I completely wanted to bring it up. And I have to admit that I had to Google because mine went to the modern day definition of it. Not the bundle like, of sticks. A bundle of sticks or twigs bound together as fuel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it makes it seem like there were, like it was a very more, much more complicated and terrifying um, symbol. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's funny in this day and age mm-hmm. when you see the word faggots. Um, well, in, in one book, they kept describing an old man who lived uh, who lived alone as queer, a queer old man. And at first, I was like, "Oh, that's funny," because like we use that term so differently. But then throughout the course of it, I was like, "I think this old man actually might be queer," mm-hmm. which is fine. But like, it would they're very progressive and unknowing. But again, uh, the word faggots, uh, I originally thought it was a bundle of asparagus. Oh yeah, you're right. You were really close, because you thought it was a bundle of asparagus. Turns out it was a it was a bundle, bundle of faggots. Of sticks or twigs. Cluster faggots. of faggots. I don't, I don't know. And then they get home and they find a warning note. Oh, right, because this is when Mr. Hardy is talking to them about his case and uh, about the warning note they just got, but that the Mexican Coast Guard found, saw a submarine mm-hmm. off the coast and on the tower of it. Was the symbol of the drug cartel. Yeah. Or whatever kind of cartel it is. Flaming asparagus. Um, Which I'm like, why would you put that on your spy, secret spy submarine? Dum-dums. Hello. Even if the people are out there and they're like, we got to make sure that we deliver this to the submarine. And a submarine surfaces, are they really going to be like, wait, are we sure this is the right submarine? This could be a different submarine. Mm -hmm. No. But anyway, Fenton lets them know that they need to go. To Mazatlan, Mexico. Oh, but... Is that yet? But Yes, very, very... But I just have to point this out. This was one of those where I had my first... <laughs> really moment? Which was that? When it is written, what if Cardio is a member of a gang that uses submarines? Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. <laughs> like, what if, like gang with submarines a a submarine gang i don't yeah one that's like you don't call that a gang you call that like an international criminal syndicate or Or a crew cartel or you know what if they're a gang with submarines but i was also like where did they get a submarine right yeah later we find out and it's like but it's still it's unbelievable like a gang of submarines like when i think of a gang of submarines i think like a gang. Like some motherfuckers getting ready to fucking throw down some shit. Which would be fleet awesome of... if a submarine pulled up and like a bunch of gangsters got out of it. That would be a much more interesting Hardy Boys book. Also, this is not the first Hardy Boys book that has featured a criminal syndicate that uses submarines. Well, this is the only Hardy Boys book I've ever read, so. No, I know. But I'm just like, I find it funny that the Hardys find the concept of a criminal gang using submarines so unbelievable right. when that happened to them. In the past. That's already happened to them once. It's okay, man. Frank, Joe, Fenton, Mom, Hardy. <laughs> we got it. This isn't the first time. We've had to fight a submarine this gang. It's happened. Let's see. So they decide that they're going to go to Mexico, and they call up their private pilot that we met. We've met several times now, but uh, he was important in the last book. Jack Wayne. Jack Wayne. Ace pilot. And he is like, as soon as they let him know, and we're going to Mexico, Jack... Wayne, who's done this before, oh no, okay, 
it's not it's it's their dad that suggests Chet come along because twice before they've been like, all right, we're going to go on an adventure. And Jack Wayne has been like, your friend Chet coming with? And they've been like, sure, Chet could come. Yeah. Why? But now this time it's his dad who suggested. He's like, look, Jack's going to go, but he'd be happier if Chet was going. And I love that because Chet readily accepted and received permission from his father. Well, I'm glad he got permission to travel outside of the country with the Hardy Boys. Right. Because the last time it happened, the last two times Chet's left the country with the Hardy Boys, he's been in plane crashes. Okay, great. Well, uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, leading they forward, say it's going to take them. Something definitely happens to the poor kid. They say it's going to take 14 hours to get to Mexico. I just want to make it clear that uh, previously the Hardy Boys have traveled to the Caribbean in four hours from Bayport. All right. Well, I don't know that because I haven't read another Hardy's I'm book. I'm just saying. But due to passage of time, mm-hmm. the Hardys began packing. Finally, they were ready to leave for the airport. Yeah. <laughs> so the passage of time in oh, two yeah. sentences, which started a new paragraph. Again, the Hardys began packing. Finally, they were ready to leave for the airport. Nothing in between there. No. No. It makes me feel like in the original no. edition there was an Not entire... Not Nope. It makes me feel like at the beginning that there was a, a whole paragraph there. And they just took the entire middle of it out. And that's like, how they oh, cut it. In a, that shit's not important. Nope. The next chapter is called The Hostage. Oh, wait. Don't they have like electrical problems and all the power goes out? Oh, yes. And I they actually... Have to, I have note of that here. They have um, to land with, with no radio... This is my favorite. Mr. Hardy owns his own plane. Uh, He's a retired New York Police Department super sleuth. Who owns a private plane, boats, motorcycles. They have an ice boat. But the plane has an electrical short. Yeah. That's, it's always something. But at least they don't die. They just, they just have to land it. Oh no, they go like, you know, fly out over the ocean. They see the coast. The cloud, something or other. It's one of those, oh God, we're never going to make it. We're never going to, oh no, we're good. Mm -hmm. And then they land. But can I digress for a second? As we're moving chronologically through this book, you wrote on the front cover of my Mm -hmm. copy of this book, thanks so much for being on the show. Looks like a potentially fun and or offensive adventure. My prediction, they meet at least one one. What is it? 38. 38. That was actually longer than I thought it would take for them to meet somebody named Juan. Marchetta turned pale. I have already been questioned by members of your consulate in Guadalajara, he cried. I tell you, as I told them, I have no information to give. Senor Marchetta, please be patient, Mr. Hardy replied. We're only trying to help you. If you can tell me anything at all. No, I cannot, the elderly man retorted. You must understand, it is not for myself that I am afraid. I fear for the life of my son, Juan. They have taken away, I... His his words words trailed off. off. He buried his face in his hands and... Sank into the chair. I like that they... There's not enough mysteries going on. Now there's a kidnapped boy. Let's see here. They uh, decide to go... They decided to do the classic Hardy Boys uh, sleuthing of just wandering around shouting questions at people until someone responds. Mm -hmm. Um, Eventually, they get attacked by a man with a whip because that's what happens when you do that. And so they go talk to this man. They find out his son is missing. They go outside and a guy basically busts in and is like, you shouldn't be talking to him. And then there's another note immediately that's like, we heard you had some visitors. They must have had that note already written. Anyway, this is when though Mr... When Mr. Hardy decides that he needs to take Mr. Marchetta because he's in danger. He needs to take him to Mexico City. They need to hide out. And that's what they do. They make plans. And they're going to go find Mr. Marchetta's wife, 
who is in hiding. Who is in hiding? And only Senora Marchetta. Yeah, and yeah. only Mrs. Marchetta. Mr. Marchetta knows where she's at. And he, Hardy Boys. He won't divulge that information. But he will to the boys. But yeah. he doesn't. He never does. Oh, he never tells him where his wife is? No. Oh, I thought that was the woman that, they went and talked to later. But no, that's a different that's, woman. No, that's the one in like, Senorita. The, the terrorized Oh, the terrorized village. Yeah. Well, uh, but can we talk about this disguise? I just want to talk about the disguise. Um, they come up with this amazing ruse where to convince the uh, the criminals that the old man Marchetta has left the house, Frank is going to dress up like him. Um, and obviously we will show a picture of this because it is unbelievably cool. Oh, do you want to read the description of his amazing disguise? All right. In the morning, Frank donned a suit of clothes Marchetta gave him, then ground some white chalk into powder and sprinkled it into his hair. Classic stagecraft, nice. Very clever, Marchetta commented on with a grin. Your hair is now almost as white as mine. Mm -hmm. Next, Frank pulled a bit of stuffing from a worn chair, whitened it with chalk, and fashioned a mustache and a goatee for himself. A straw hat completed the disguise. The Hardy Boys are alabaster white. Let's go ahead and look at the <laughs> illustration. He, he looks like he looks dashing. Like, dashing. He looks, he looks a, dashing. He looks like Uncle Sam. Yeah. Like what? Like, no, it's his 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 outfit. He tra- that's that's a mustache made of chair stuffing. Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, chair stuffing and white chalk. I really like the caption though. It's Chet looking the in the picture Chet looks absolutely horrified by this disguise and underneath it it's hope this disguise works Frank, Frank said. said and it does. It doesn't But like literally like I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a really shitty disguise." Oh my god, like Frank. you're like a leading man. You clean up, up nice. Frank? Aren't you supposed to look like I an thought, old man? And then I thought to myself, "Jesus Christ, he's 18. He, no, he he was originally 16. Oh, well, that's even... But now he's 18. Yeah. They aged them up. <laughs> I don't know why they felt the need to age them up. It seems like they're being uh, perpetually held back in high school now. Probably because they never go to school. Let's see. Oh, I really like this. When they're figuring out Jack Wayne is going to fly Fenton and Mr. Marchetta to Mexico City. And he's like, I'll file a flight plan, plan back to Brownsville, Texas. That should confuse anyone who's curious. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's a crime. Yep. Pretty sure filing an uh, I mean, like an inaccurate flight mm-hmm. flight plan that and then and I actually don't really know where this falls, but this is where my notes bring me. Sure, I'm totally bringing back leaping lizards. Leaping lizards. They say leaping lizards at least three times in this book. And I counted two. The only other oh, I think I I thought caught it through, but maybe there was two. The only other exclamation is caramba, which makes me think that caramba translates into leaping lizards, right? Because that's how Spanish works in the Charles, rest of this book. I mean, for real, leaping lizards. It's fun. Le- yeah. It's worth it. We'll bring it back. Yeah, we have to bring it back. Okay, where do they go after? Oh, they go to the docks. They, yeah, because. The officer tells the police officer that they ask for tips is like, maybe you should go down to the docks and just bother the people down there. I totally love this note, though, that I have to reinforce what you just stated. Mr. Hardy flies to Mexico City, leaving three teenage boys to hack it out in Mazatlan. Yep. Just they're fine. They've been through worse. He's left them in worse situations, I think. That's great. This one's particularly bad, though. They find... Uh, ancillary character that's their new friend for this adventure. His name is Tico. 
Oh, he has all the information they could ever need. He's perfect as an assistant. Tico uh, is the fisherman's son. And by the way, the fisherman's son is a son of a fisherman who spotted a submarine got yeah. by Mazatlan, Mexico. Yeah, but up the river. The river or the ocean? That's where they go, right? On the boat? Or do they go along the coastline? I couldn't understand the geography, but that is not new. Yeah, no, you you I, never I think, figure I out the geography. they go along the coastline. Because they're going to a cove. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Great. So they take the small outboard motor, a craft, and they're going out. Tico's totally confident. He's like, it's fine. We're going to go out there. We're going to find this area. A storm happens. And then Tico wrecks his own boat and sinks it. And no, and doesn't seem that. Like, it's okay. But I'm like, that's, for Tico, I feel like that should have been a more traumatic experience. Like, my dad's going to kill me. That's our boat. Like, that's our livelihood. But it's fine. My dad totally sells the submarine that you guys are looking for, and you're perfect strangers. Caramba! So, what chapter are we on? We are point? just reaching chapter six, so I think it's about time to oh, check in with our bingo. Yeah, we definitely need to tally up. Uh, Some deaths. Should have died. Should have died. At this point. Great. Okay. I'm going to look at my bingo. See what I've got here. Right? Okay. So, there was definitely a disguise. I've got that one. I don't know if you do. Oh. A disguise. Wait, Fenton Hardy was mentioned. Great. Yep, he's our free square. Okay. Okay. Um, the boys leave the country. I have that one. It's great. A shipwreck. Oh, cool. Yeah, that just happened. I don't have a shipwreck. The boys haven't been tied up yet. The boys leave Bayport. Oh, great. Yep, I got that one. The sleuth. Yeah, bitches. Great. You're cleaning up. All right, that's good. I don't think there's been any animals yet. Mm, I have that one, too. Mrs. Hardy leaves the house. That's still my favorite square because she was only mentioned once in this. Bye bye. <laughs> yep. And okay. that's all you get. I have four. I have four as well. I think we got different ones, but that's great. Okay. So I, I got to a point kind of between, uh, I don't know, like chapter eight. Okay. <laughs> compared to chapter 12, where I was like, what the fuck? So I didn't really pick back up into the story until about. Page ninety eight, which okay, I mean, that's fine. I'll uh, I'll just walk real quick through what happened because some of it's funny, but most of it's just like very procedural. They rescue themselves from the sinking boat, and they're like, "Oh God, we gotta walk back to Mazatlan now." They start walking and get shot. Yeah, yeah, like, like immediately. Uh, all right, uh, bang, 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 at least like, right. ding, like, and and described the the rocky regions of the coast. Um, if they had taken a misstep. <laughs> right. They would have fallen to their death. To their would... death. Oh, God. All right. To the sure. death again. To the death again. Um, but instead, they miss all the shots. There's rocks exploding around them in shrapnel, but they hide in a ditch. And then they hide forever. They hide for hours and hours like and hours. A night into the morning, Into right? the morning. They wait until the sun comes up. Then they see the submarine signal. And they, what, did they swim out to the sub? There's something to do with the sub. They watch no, it. No, one of the boys sneaks out. It's either Frank or Joe. Oh, my God. That's right. Yeah. To well, what? obviously, it's one of the Hardy boys that actually sneaks out. He's like, whatever. I'm tired. I've been shot at. It's great. I'm just going to totally put my life at risk. Leaping lizard. So that's yeah. what those bandits were waiting for. Uh, yeah. Oh, they see bandits with flashlights uh, delivering stuff to the submarine. And... But then, uh, with his miraculous eyesight, he Joe sees, decides I'm going to sneak down for a closer look. He That's sees the flaming asparagus with the P insignia. I really like this. Keep moving. Get that stuff aboard. Ordered a bearded, heavyset man wearing a battered visor cap. It was obvious to Joe that he was not a Mexican. There you what? go, ladies and gentlemen. Mexicans look like all kinds of people. It was, 
very obvious he doesn't have an accent. I also like how often the criminals have to shout at each other, speak English. Yeah. You know, like, so that Because the, the Hardy Boys are an adventure and they don't really actually understand Spanish. But or... sometimes they have an amazing knowledge of Spanish. Like, just coming up here, um, after they notice that the submarine has the same symbol of the faggots, the burning faggots, they, they're they looking for food and water. Because they're like, oh, God, there isn't much to eat or drink out here. And Tico says, we are sure to find plants which can be eaten, such as acerolo. Acerolo, Chet blur- blurted. And then Joe says, that's Spanish for Hawthorne. Yeah. Because... So wait, Joe, now you speak Spanish? Maybe he just paid attention for that one day. That, I, and that's what it seems like, because their knowledge yeah. of plant, of because Spanish it, names for plants. You know, they also certainly definitely have enough time to go to school in their Hardy Boy adventures. Yeah. To, to learn Spanish. To learn Spanish. I don't yeah. know. But he, they know some very random Spanish. But then Tico's showing them about how you can... Um, and this is one of those attempts of the Hardy Boys to teach children actual things that you can like break open a cactus and pull the pulp out and squeeze water out of that. And then poor Chet. And then Chet immediately, well, he thinks he has, but he immediately poisons himself. He yeah. eats the one plant that they're like, oh, it's muy malo, um, which means it's poisonous. Oh. Um, that's what they say it means, but that's not what that means. Isn't it very bad? Yeah. But then he's like, it's what? And he's like, poison. Chet's dying. So Chet's going to die. Like our chunk from Goonies. Is about to die in the desert. And he feels terrible. And he has like, he's pale. They can tell that he's sick. But then this guy on horseback shows up. And he like scoops up some of it and has the same. And he's like, oh no, that one's not good. It looks like the poisonous kind, but it's not. And I was like, stupid Tico. We're trusting you. We're relying on you right now. And you're tricking us into thinking we poison ourselves. And how dare you, you new friend, like try to be kind thinking that you think this plant is dangerous and it's actually really not. Should have just. This other perfect stranger is like, it's actually really It's actually just fine. Yeah. So they meet Mr. Garcia, who is returning from his ranchero. Every single word in Spanish is italicized, including words like avocados, which I think are, that's hilarious. They're like yeah. even foods, tortillas. Because every time that I say avocado and tortilla, like I say it with an avocado. Yeah, with a, with a slant to it. Um, yeah. I feel like I sound Italian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You slip into a little Italian. So they go, let's see, oh yeah, they go back to Mr. Garcia's t- like little ranchero and they eat bananas, oranges, limes, and avocados. And then food. Oh, they that have was, a fiesta. They have a huge fiesta. And Chet says, this will be a gastronomic adventure. And I wrote, Chet's going to poop forever. Right? He's going to be like. <laughs> the rest of the trip is going to be <laughs> Chet being like, oh, I'm fine. But then it's there's just sudden. Like Chuck, there's, he just wants some Rocky Road ice cream. I man. really want to add this one to Bingo because this has definitely never showed up in a Hardy Boys book bullfighting yeah they do amateur bullfighting in this town where they've blunted the horns of the bull and the young people in town get in at the, the fiesta ring. at the fiesta avocados and bananas oranges limes and avocados tortillas and tortillas tortillas i like he waved a muleta even that is a talisman it's a small red cloth draped over a stick but chet jumps right in like with no threats he's like oh this seems fun and chet jumps right in to fight a bull and I think it's because he's high on all the food he just has. I guess. Or something else. Coke you know? But I I, uh, I just write, Chet's awesome. Just to be like, if the Hardy Boys can do it, the Hardy Boys don't think it's necessary. But then Chet ends up getting thrown over a fence, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty serious. You could die. Right? Bulls, oh, bulls oh. kill people from that. Oh, 
tell it bit. And then is it Joe that comes in and he's like, it's okay. I got the ball. I'll save you. Joe says that waistline of yours almost got you into real trouble with the fence. And I wrote, Joe's a dick. Right? Joe's a dick and obviously he's... And you should have been like, oh my god, I'm so glad you're okay. Senor Garcia keeps saying that he's going to El Dorado. And no one is ever like the lost city of gold? Nope. It's some other place. Bottled water. Oh, okay. I thought of like the mythical city, one of the seven cities of Cibola. Or like that casino. And then they find out that this town is full of peasants and they're superstitious, cowardly lot. Mm -hmm. So they want the boys to leave right away as soon as they start asking. And they're superstitious because of the mark on the door. The mark on the door. The mark on the door. The curse of the symbol is what they call it. But it's the mark on the door. Then they, let's see. Trail to Baja is the name of this chapter. It's just them talking to a bunch of cowardly villagers and who are being clearly intimidated by some some gangster. They get a letter when they get back to their hotel finally after like walking through the desert and getting... For the first time. Yeah, they, for the first time. They get back to Mazatlan. There's a note at the hotel that just says, remaining with our friend for a while. We'll contact you later, Fenton. See you later, kids. I mean, who gives a shit that you're in your teens and whatever you've hooked up with, like, a fisherman's son? Yeah. Joe says, hope he's not running into trouble. And I just wrote hookers and blow, man. Dude went to Mexico City (laughs) and then was like, hey, look, turns out I'm going to be stuck. Oh, my God, Mama Hardy. My Aunt Gertrude, my sister, has just been on my nerves. Where's Jack Wayne? Did Jack Wayne go with them? No, Jack Wayne's still in Mazatlan. But oh, that's right. I thought he was. I thought he was gonna tr- make a fake flight plan or whatever. But I guess that was Fenton. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Fenton's gone, is the point. So the boys who have infinite money, I guess, as per usual, they rent a boat. They decide they're going to. Oh, Tico has all these maps of Mexico, like air maps, like for people plotting air journeys. Which I don't know why you would, but anyway. Luckily, that's handy. So they take a boat and they make it to this tiny little town. And I can't remember what that town was called. Monteraz. Yeah, that sounds right. Monteraz. Right. And everyone, it's one of those towns where, like, as they enter the town, everyone shuts the doors and locks them. And, like, because we don't like any strangers. We, they don't like outsiders here. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote silly peasant superstitions. Oh, no, I wrote this is the Frady Town, is what I called this. They go to Frady Town. They bully a lady into talking to them, right? Yeah, but it's a lady of the guy who, like, stumbled upon the dudes in the woods, and then they kidnapped him, and then right. put the mark on the door. Let's find her story, because she tells them a person pretty... Oh, they get threatened by a man with a machete, who tells them to leave. Yeah, and then we figure out... And then they, go, they just go camp on the edge of town. Right. But then when they come back, they talk to Senora Santos, who is, the, who is the wife of a man who's been missing. And she says that... He says... That he see a group of men. Oh, God, I hate the way they write this. I know very little. One night, he returned from hunting trip and tells me he sees something strange in the mountains. What sort of thing, you ask? He says he see a group of men walking through the mountains. Many were dressed like Aztec warriors of old days. They were chanting mysterious music. What? Like, one, that's cool. I wish, I wish the boys would have seen that as opposed to this happening to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was kidnapped, so he never... Um, and then... They sent out some friends to look for him, amigos. They sent some of his hus- the husband's amigos out to look for him, and they never come back. I.e. friends. They and I'm like, they're back. dead. They're dead. They, never, they went into the, up into the Except woods. For, does anybody die in the Hardy Boys stories? Yes. I think two people have died. Let's see. They get some burros. 
they decide oh they decide they're going to go investigate where the where the people disappeared and where the like Aztec warriors and all that stuff obviously yeah sometimes there are uh, little bits of narrative that I actually think are cool for children's mysteries so I'm going to read one of these because it's rare but I always like them the sound sent a chill through the Hardys was this the strange music Santos has told his wife about more cautious than ever Frank and Joe crawled on elbows and stomachs. In a few minutes, they had the campfire in sight. Seated around it were eight men. Two wore sombreros and serapes, were not Indians. But the others appeared to be Indians. Their colorful garb looked like that worn by ancient Aztec tribes. And I was just like, cool. That's a cool scene to set. Beyond the fire and barely perceptible in its glow stood an Indian with a rifle nestled in the crook of his arm. One, none of these people are Indians. These are native Mexicans. Mm -hmm. But whatever. They're Indians. And I like how there's a differentiation. There's... How they differentiate between Aztecs and Indians? I think it's the sombreros. It's the sombreros. The Aztecs don't wear sombreros. Do wear sombreros? Don't wear sombreros. Let's see. Oh, they say, like, one of the guys is like, speak Spanish so that, or speak English, amigo, so that the rest of them don't know what they're talking about. And I was like, I bet they speak some English. Right? Like, but I would pretend But all of a sudden, like, these guys totally are going to speak English right now. Yeah, it's so handy. Mexico. (laughs) But then they, like, they get away. And Tico, they, they go, they, you know, they return to campfire anyway. The Hardys are, decide they're going to follow these people back to their main encampment. And Tico says, I can be of help to you. My grandfather was an Indian. As a young child, he taught me much about tracking. I'm yeah, sure I can tracking, follow their trail. Tracking. Oh, and Jesus. Meanwhile, as I'm reading this, I can only picture Tico as a boy of 12. Right. Tico. Yeah. But he's, it's that, like, I love the... He's not like Frank and Joe Hardy, but he's like... I got it. I just really love like that the Mexican stereotypes aren't enough for this book. They have to put Indian stereotypes in there as well. Like they're all really good at tracking. Uh, you know, they're silent in the woods, all that stuff. But I like that that was a little extra stuff. They finally get to the place, this encampment, and they know that they have a prisoner, and they go to like free the prisoner, and they find out that it's Elmer Tremor, the missing guy from the earlier. The last guy they actually wanted to find. They wanted to find the kidnapped people from the village. Mm-hmm. But Elmer Trimmer doesn't even want to go, right? Juan. They wanted to find Juan. They wanted to find Juan, the missing boy. His son. I don't know if he's really a boy. Senor Marchetta's son. Senor Marchetta's son, Juan. Juan Marchetta. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but Elmer Trimmer doesn't even want to go with them. No. He's, he's like, pussy. I'm not trying to run away. Yeah, he's a, he's a Tremor. He's got the right name. His name is Elmer Tremor. He's okay. a pussy. So I just found my fourth Leaping Lizards, and I'm on 93. So I think there's probably more than three in this book. <laughs> um, Leaping Lizards. Leaping Lizards, Joe Leaping exclaimed at his brother. <laughs> so they went into a cave. So they go into a cave. Got to go into a cave. It's not a Hardy Boys book if they don't go into a cave. Yeah, because, oh my God, what's on the other end of the cave? We'll go back to the place where Tico and I spotted the cave. It be- it'll be better if we go before daylight. Also, one of us will have to stay here and guard the camp in the burrows. I guess I'm elected again, Chet grumbled. And then uh, Tico agrees to stay with him. So the Hardys, all alone with not with none of their tracking abilities of their friend, they go into this cave. Now, it says uh, 40 Indians emerged from this cave and hurried off as if on an urgent mission. That sounds like a bit from a Mel Brooks movie mm. oh, yeah. where, like, one Indian comes out of the cave and then two more. And then it's just like a tiny little cave and 40 guys come out of it. And they look inside the cave. They probably get trapped. They find and the symbol. I think, yeah, I think this is like right about where my notes start. Where you kick start back kicking up. back in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, this is the point where they find all of the clues. They find like all of the stolen stuff from the Americas called machinery. 
They find yeah, barrels box, of oil. Labeled machinery. That's that the mean, thing. It's not guns. It's not bombs. It's no, not it's drugs. Just, it's machinery. machinery for uh, mining. Um, yeah. They find a little strip of paper with a note. They find all the clues. Mm-hmm. But one of the other things they find is an altar that's got like a little hidden space underneath it. And when the bad guys come back, the boys hide inside of it. Oh, wait. I think I, I wrote something down that says the sense of eminent death is actually to the point of fucking absurd. Right. They climb in a, in a hollow altar and then the Indians start a giant fire on top of the altar. Can I, can I read that? Uh, yeah, let's read that and then we'll, right. then we'll do bingo. Quick! Frank commanded, remembering the altar. Follow me. He pulled aside the broken fragment of stone at its base. Inside! Hurry! The boys squeezed through the opening and into the hollow portion of the altar. A split second later, the Indians poured into the cave. Fuego! One of them shouted. Fuego por pavura, which is Spanish for terror? Pavura, yeah. Fire for terror. Yeah, all right. The boys were horror-stricken. The Indians were about to build a fire on top of the altar. We'll be roasted alive, Chet quavered. Quiet, Joe Warren. Nudging Chet with his elbow. Frank fully realized their desperate situation. If they leave their hiding place, capture. Yet to remain, destruction. The fire was started, and the boys waited tensely for the temperature to rise. But much to their surprise, the heat was not intolerable. Of course. (laughs) Frank said to himself, The altar is made out of volcanic rock. It is radiating the heat of the fire too rapidly to get very hot itself, which I expect Joe to go, shh. Frank, shh, yeah, quiet. And we'll check in back in with Bingo. I don't think I have sabotage. We've Nobody's. Had, we've had a gunfight, yeah. Well, no. Well, I consider They've a gunfight. Shot at. That's different. They yeah, have right. to have people shooting in the other direction, and sometimes there it... was a fiesta. I've had a party. Oh, great! Yeah, definitely. I'm gonna do. I definitely had attempted murder because uh, they fight because they shot firearms at them. The boys haven't been tied up. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, attempted murder. All right. Great. Oh man, I'm I'm still a new oh. vehicle. Is a new vehicle as in like car only, or does that include a burro or a horse? Well, that would be under an animal, which I actually have. But a new vehicle, sadly, Fenton... oh, an animal. Great. Okay. Yeah, sadly, Fenton's plane has been mentioned before only once. But they did mention that their dad had a plane. They're like, we would have just used our dad's plane, but he's out of town, and, yeah. and their friends are like. All right, guys. But we've had a boat. I mean, they were on the sleuth. Yeah. And then they were on a plane. But that's when they get that's when they get a brand new uh, brand new vehicle because in the first couple books they seem to get a new like they got a new motorcycle and then they got a new car and then they got an ice boat and then they got a regular boat and then they got a plane so yeah. it's just like they always get new stuff so trespassing into a new county no it's not technically trespassing yet well they did break into these people's cave but then again those people weren't supposed to be in that cave no we're coming up on an invention for sure oh yeah that's right okay cool I think we can get back into it. Yeah, oh it, it kind of gets into... It gets crazy. Now it's yeah. starting to get pretty yeah. pretty active. They hide in the altar. Then when the... They dissipate immediately after they light this fire. Actually, no, they talk a little bit. They accuse Mr. Tremor of trying to run away. He says, you were wrong, Vincenzo. Mm-hmm. I did not try to run away. Didn't I come to Mexico with you of my own free will? I just went out for a walk and got lost. And Vincenzo... Uh... By the way, if we have not followed him logistically, is uh, Pavura. Pa- uh, Pancho Cardillo. Right. They're all the Pavura, same guy. which is i.e. terror. Pavura is the name that he uses to lead the cult of people who worship him. 
Uh, Vincenzo, Indians I think, is his Aztecs slash Native Mexicans. Sure, they all worship him because apparently, even in the fifties, it's easy to convince people to worship you. Um, I guess, especially if you have the flaming asparagus insignia. Yes, because it's holy to the people of this region of Mazatlan. <laughs> um, I guess burning asparagus, they're like, oh, that's very serious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, okay. They yeah so so he leads the Indians who worship him which I wrote very lame very racist um they all leave and the boys just get out of the they survive they're fine they escape yeah they they get out of the volcanic rock altar right and they're like okay we're gonna you guys stay here with the camp Chet you stay with the camp Joe and I are gonna um reconnoiter the area where are they gonna go look anyway and and poor Chet right Chet by the time they get back. They they go they go find out what the Indians are doing right and they're yeah and by the way Tico has disappeared at this point because he's trying to go back to the cursed village. Tico's gonna go back to the cursed village and talk to Senora, missing husband. Husband person. Right, and um, Chet is gonna watch the donkeys and the camp. Frank and Joe are going to follow the Indians to wherever they go when they leave. The rail car. The, the rail car. Yeah, the Indiana so, Jones oh, section of the book. I completely forgot about right? this. I wrote Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong. Um, See, okay. And that goes back to... Um, a charging donkey. A charging donkey. So they follow the Indians and they get to a mining operation. It's clearly that's what's going on. The boy's like, it looks like it might be a mining operation, but it's clearly actually what it is. And they see this weird rail car that's like flat and open on the top. Mm-hmm. And it... and. When they get chased by the Indians, they run in a big circle, and then they get on the railroad car and just turn off the brakes and ride it Donkey Kong style. No, don't realize that there are brakes on it. Oh, that's right. They just get on it and take yeah. off. And then and then it's the oh shit Indiana Jones style like it's going to go off a cliff. The end of the tracks. No, the end of the tracks. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And fifty feet from there lay a uh, a stack of rusting rails directly astride the cart's path Mm -hmm. so they pull the brakes is it frank who figures it out first frank pulls one and there's a huge shower of sparks and then yeah then joe finds the other one and then it's like oh my god we magically found the brakes of the rail i don't know a lot about rail cars but if you 15 miles an hour it's just perfect because uh yeah they stop a few feet from the end of the track Woo, joe sighed that was close frank mopped his brow if we hadn't found those brake levers, we would have ended up in little pieces. Yeah. There you go. Also, those Indians fired guns at them. Oh, so if oh you yeah, wanna... that's right. After the circle. Okay. Yeah, when they were so running we're circles. And then they've just been riding for like this crazy ride. They're, they've lost the Indians. Nobody knows where they are, but they know they're on their way. And Frank says, our camp shouldn't be too far from here. We better get back to, before Chet starts worrying. And I wrote, where the fuck are you? Like, yeah, you just rode, like, how many miles down, like, how many circles did you run? And down a track, miles? and you went, you followed them all the way out to this mining, but no, he's, they know exactly where they are. You know what, I'm going to put and my right they... index finger in my mouth, spin on it, and then check the direction of the wind, and also, that's my compass. they're not going to take, like, roads or anything, they're just going to cut, like, straight through the, the desert. Yeah, they're hardy boys. But they get back to Chet, and, uh... When they reached their camp, the Hardys found Chet propped up against a rock, whittling a stick of wood. And he says he's bored. And then he, and then Chet drops his whittling and tackles Joe to the ground. And, oh, it's the whittling stick that's an important clue. And I was like, dude, clue. 
they, you could have just broken his ribs. Like you, you should guys shouldn't rough each other up when you're out here in the desert. But um, the whittling stick is an important. Right, book. he's whittling. He's whittling something. He's never whittled before, but he is now. Tico's still gone. Oh, the Hardys go back to the cave to watch it and leave Chet. That's yeah, what it is, right? They're always fucking going back to the cave. Now Jeez that they have somebody Christ. to babysit the burrows, yeah, that Chet. yeah, Chet just gets it's left just there. A chunk alone. Chunk just gets like left. Give him some rocky road. Yeah, exactly, and a big monster friend. <laughs> um, that's what he needs. I would love if that became <laughs> like, a character. If like so- actually happened. If Sloth showed up in <laughs> in the Hardy Boys, it would change everything. <laughs> everything. But yeah, they they sneak back around. They try to get the bookkeeper to leave with them. But mostly he just gives them expedition. Ex- expedition? He gives them an expedition. No, he you gives know, them... We ex- are on an expert expedition with right now. But some exposition? He tells them about Vincenzo. He says, the guy who's uh, Cardillo and Pavura, he's the guy who's leading this cult of Indians. Yeah, he's Pietro Cardillo. Cardillo. He's a very dangerous man. He leads those Indians under the name Pavura. They're very superstitious and think he's some kind of god. When I first met him, he was the alias Cardillo. The young detectives were startled. Another alias? Yeah, dude, why are you surprised? Yeah, yeah. Are, really? You're the Hardy Boys, are you that surprised? Anyway, he refuses to come with them. Um, that's And they go back to their campsite, and Chet is gone. The burrows are gone. All their stuff is gone. But they do find the stick that Chet was whittling. Yeah, and then... Now they're left in the desert alone. In my very logistical mind i wrote i don't know if i'd want to go on an adventure with the hardy boys as a friend chet gets kidnapped and they leave him behind yeah what the fuck that's the first thing that happens is like we must rescue chet and fast and then he says simmer down mm-hmm. and then yeah frank says simmer down let's keep our heads and then they decide let's just go back to monaraz and yeah. find tico instead let's just like totally leave our friend out in the middle of who knows where Baja California to just get our asses stranded on the desert Frank, again. Frank oh. is becoming pretty hard hearted okay. at this point though. At one point Joe's yeah. like, we got to find something to drink. We're out of water. And he's like, don't think about it. Just don't think about it. Yeah. And you're like, not a good survival strategy. No. But then they do this crazy desert survival skill thing. Please tell me you're on page 114. I definitely am. Cause I don't believe this at all. They find a Jeep. Uh, okay, wait. It must be a mirage, Joe said. Mirage, nothing. It's a jeep, Frank observed and hastened to it. This thing's as hot as a griddle, Joe remarked, as he touched a portion of metal exposed to the sun. Looks as if the driver got bogged down in the sand and had to leave it, Frank said. This thing must have been here for months. On the rear floor of the vehicle, Joe found several wrenches wrapped in a plastic sheet. If only we could squeeze water out of these, he commented, trying to force a smile. He flung the plastic aside. Hey, wait a minute, Joe commanded. Don't throw that plastic sheet away. It might be the answer to our problem. Joe eyed his brother curiously. He retrieved the plastic sheet and handed it to him. Yes, this might do the trick, Joe muttered as he examined it. Are you sure the heat hasn't gotten to you, Joe asked? I'm fine. I just remembered an article I read some time ago in a science magazine. It described a water generator that used a plastic sheet, just like this. Joe's eyes widened. Say, now that you mention it, I remember you showing me the article. You start by digging a hole three or four feet across and about half that deep. Then you spread that plastic sheet over it and set a stone in the center. This causes the sheet to sink and form an inverted cone. 
Exactly, Frank replied. It's based on the principle that even the driest soil contains some moisture, and as the sun evaporates it, the water vapor condenses on the underside of the plastic sheet. The droplets then begin to trickle down to the point of an inverted cone and fall into the container. Why are we talking about it? Let's just do it. Right. But also, what I don't understand about this, and they do it, they make this this thing work. What I don't understand is that Joe has no idea what he's talking about, and in the moment he's like, you can make a water generator, he's like, oh, right, and I remember exactly the dimensions... And the process of doing that. And let's not forget that they've been wandering in the in desert, desert and for the second time. So they are not thinking straight. They and make they this go. thing, and they end up over the course of how how much time? After several hours. A, so like three hours. According to experiments, about a quart is produced every 12 hours. But we should have enough water to quench our thirst long before that. I have seen Les Stroud do this on Survivor Man. You don't get that much water. It's a very small amount of water. And I just don't believe that they would get... They got like... There must be at least a pint there. Mm -hmm. Finest water I ever tasted. Dirt water. Yeah. Watering in the desert. Got it. Got it enough to continue traveling. Yeah. They're fine. They get to the town, right? No, they get to a a campsite. And they, they think about being like, hey, let's go ask those guys for help. And then they no, overhear no, no, a radio, no. right? No. Oh, yeah. They overhear. Thank you. They yeah. overhear the radio. Because they're going to ask for help, but then they overhear them talking on the radio, and they're like, oh, my God. They're talking to Vincenzo. He has a string of men spaced just within range of each other, extending from the headquarters of the village. This is how they figure out the communication from the village all the way to the cove where the submarine <sighs> is and and the caves with the Indians and the stuff. I like that. Joe has the idea of, like, let's knock those guys out and steal their clothes, which I think is what he's playing. He's like, why don't we just grab those guys? And then Frank's like, no, that would cause a break in the chain. And then mm-hmm. Frank's thinking a little more ahead. But, but let's, let's Joe not, had the classic let's not idea. Let's forget that Chet has disappeared. Yeah, Chet's still Tico gone. Chico is nowhere to be found. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, they're, um, they're all gone. Fenton Hardy is in Mazatlan. When they get back to Monaraz, oh, he's in Mexico City. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yeah. When they get back to Mazatlan, they... Um, after they get back to Monaraz, the town, the Frady town with all the scared people. Okay, they get the fucking necklace to get the fucking dog, like the horses. Oh, yeah. They go, they the talk senora. to, they talk to Senora Santos and she tells them that Chet and Tico, is she? No, Tico never made it. Tico never made it. And they think that he's been captured as well. Yeah. So she, she gives, gives them, them a necklace, like yeah, a heirloom. A locket. Right. To give to her uncle? Right. That's what it is. She's like, I have an uncle outside of town, and you can um, – it's a cinch we can't go to the, to the authorities. That was another one that he kept saying. It's a cinch we can't – I was like, stop, stop yeah. saying that, weirdo. Yeah. Well, also because the town is, like, in terror because of – If you go to the, the authorities, they the will report you to the, to the criminal syndicate probably. They need supplies because they have none. And he's like, oh, I'll give you food. My husband has things to make camp. Take whatever and you need. horses, everything that they, get, they need yeah, yeah, to, so go they go to back the to the cove. He doesn't speak any English, but they give him a note in the locket and immediately loads him up with, like, horses. The Hardys mount and rode off, smiling and waving their thanks. It's, it's so like a video game. They've had oh, all of their things taken away. No, but I have... Horses lent to Frank and Joe. Oh my just god! Left tied up at some makeshift camps in Baja. Did they just leave those horses to yeah. die? Yep, yep, they definitely did. Oh, well, maybe we'll find out that we missed a part, and they did go back for the horses. No, they definitely did not. Yeah, you're right. Okay. 
So they just ride into the cave and they tie him up. After they restock on supplies and horses, they go to the cave again. They find the big cave. They find a new cave that they didn't know about before. Mm -hmm. And in that cave... That's where the prisoners are? That's where the prisoners are. Yeah. And there's like a... water river. There's a tunnel, a hole in the ground. And when the bad guys are coming, they're like, we gotta go! Looks like we're gonna have to jump! Yeah. And then they jump in... Indiana Jones An underground river, which... An underground river? That could dead end that could junction at a point that's too small for the human body oh my god eminent death they could yeah i mean it could go into a place that has no space for air Mm -hmm. i mean there are lots of ways yeah that they could have died oh you could be impaled on like some sort of stagnite like something or other oh i did forget to say that while they're in this new cave they see these weird long canvas bag objects that are like yeah that are like long tubes anyway those those are important later like um, a torpedo. Oh, torpedo-sized tubes. Yeah, and as they're riding through the underwater, the underground river, they see sunlight, and they're like, yay, and then they realize it's a waterfall, which is definitely making it into bingo. Yeah. Waterfalls, that's never happened before, and that's awesome. There was a frozen waterfall at one point, but they didn't have to, like... All right. I'm, like, we literally have to read. Okay, let's do one last bingo check-in. And then we'll be on the final stretch towards the end of the book. Secret passageway. Gunfight? Probably, yeah. I'd say secret passageway. I don't think they've had a picnic yet because it's been camping. No explosions yet. The Queen is the name of Chet's car. He's got a He's got a beautiful bright yellow jalopy called the Queen. That's amazing. All right. um, I don't think secret codes either. We haven't had a fist fight yet. No fist fights, really? No, nope, not yet. That's amazing to me. No, it all happens here at the end. Oh, all right. we have had an invention. What was the invention? The plastic water contraption. That's right. That's more of a contraption, but I will give it to you. That's an invention, though. I don't think they invented that, though. I mean, that was a thing that already existed that they knew about. Sometimes they'll have things in, like one book had a walkie-talkie that a scientist made who could talk to anyone on the world. That's an invention. Uh, all right, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Treasure, new country, trespass. They've trespassed now at this point. Yeah, I think several times. Okay. I'm not you know, winning with bingo. Actually, we can we can give you ghost because ghost is in quotes, and it's any time that a character thinks something is ghosts or spirits, but it's actually something else. And that lady thought, and the people in that town thought that the Aztec warriors were the spirits of Aztec warriors. That's one of the things they talked about. So that's a ghost, if I ever heard of one. Shebang. Shebang. I have this noted coming back into this story. Yeah. Uh, really? The entire time. I wrote, wah? No yeah. effing way. All over yeah. this thing. So, All right. The swift current tumbled the hardies towards the river's drop. They were about to be swept through when Joe, in the lead, grabbed a segment of rock projecting from the wall of the tunnel about three feet above his head. Hang on to me! He shouted. Frank clung to Joe's waist and gazed through the opening. The water cascaded to jagged rocks below. Don't let go! He screamed. Or we're finished! I'll hang on as long as I can. Joe shouted. The water pounded against the boys and threatened to carry them with it into the chasm. The rock climbing tools! Frank cried out. Joe hooked his left arm around the projection of the rock and pulled a pitten from his belt. Is that what it's called? A pitten? Mm-hmm. A pin. Great. Using the small hatchet in his right hand and holding the pin in the other, he hammered the pitten into the wall. 
Then he took the coil of the rope and threaded one end through the eyelet of the pit to form a double line. Grasping it firmly in both hands, Joe let go of the rock and slowly fed out the line. With the current pulling the boys' bodies forward, they were swept outside the opening. They dangled precariously above the chasm as the water gushed over them. There's a narrow ledge to our left, Frank yelled. It looks just big enough for us to stand on if we can get close enough to reach it. He kicked out hard and the boys started to swing back and forth like a human pendulum. Frank, with only one hand around his brother's waist, reached out for the ledge with the other. Almost, he called as they arched up toward it. Finally, after a hard swing, Frank managed to grab hold of the ledge. He and Joe pulled themselves up onto it. Then, Joe released one half of the double line and pulled the rope free from the pit inside the tunnel. It's about 200 feet to the bottom of this waterfall, Frank remarked. And another 200 to the top of the mountain, he said as he peered at the sheer rock wall stretching above them. Okay, let's just go ahead yeah. and write this down for a second. So, wow. Okay, one, they can communicate verbally while in a river. That's uh, an underground river. An underground river that ends in a waterfall. But yeah. they can... Which sheer, is going down to uh, sheer rock face. 200, 200 feet, feet below. They manage to get out their no, no, no. gear. First off, they, Joe manages to grab onto a hanging rock above his head with his right hand. Like a stalactite? Yeah, which is probably wet. Yeah, and slimy. With, the weight of his brother around his waist. And does he have a hand on it or just his arm hook? Because he uses his both uh, hands so to do the pitten thing. So yeah, so then after he's got his arm hooked and his brother's got his arm around his waist, Joe manages to, to get with out. With rushing water. With rushing water, waterfall, all that. Yeah, the force of all of that water. And then how many pounds per square inch is that? And then they get out their equipment. And he manages, though, to use one hand to hold the thing still and the other hand to tap it with a hatchet. Mm-hmm. How... A pitten and a hammer. Right. But then he still got his with arm... With his brother. And his arm around, around his the waist. thing. And then he thread the thing and then he lets go so that they can just dangle. Mm-hmm. And then... I don't understand Which any... Which is literally like, uh, is that pitten attached to a carabiner and is a carabiner holding what would probably be almost equivalent of 400 pounds of weight? Right. And it's fine. And it's like sawing back and forth against the rocks. To the, to the point where they can swing. Yeah. Also, the underwater river current didn't wash away any of said tools. I don't know if any tree. of our listeners... Right. Anything out of their pockets, anything off... I think there's still other hats after this. If anybody has ever been near a waterfall or maybe even seen one on the television, you will know how loud waterfalls are. Mm-hmm. I love that they're able to stand right next to a waterfall and have a conversation. You got it! And then. And then what? Then they have to scale 200, 200 feet. feet of rock face. Mm-hmm. No problem. Yeah. Not a big deal. All right. Um, okay. so, so I think that's like one, two, three marks on our eminent death least. should have died. The thing that is so frustrating to me about that, and I want to make sure that, that I, didn't, I didn't skip it, they get to the top of the freaking cliff. And are captured. And are immediately captured by the bad guys. So all of that adventure was for absolutely nothing. And then it seems like they're actually going to get tortured. Like they're going to put a cold, like or a hot brand. They're going to brand Joe on the face. Yeah. But then, well, it, for, I mean, they, they get a lot of tips from the prisoners. That's part of one thing that happens is oh, that they just well, talk to a bunch of prisoners. This, this chapter is called the hot melee. Yeah. Don't urban dictionary that. You don't want to know what that is. Serve up a hot melee. <laughs> I don't want to have to come up with what that is. Um, I, I had note of this, though, that because this advent, this adventure has gotten to be very, very intense, like people dangling from re- like rock faces and waterfalls and yeah. gunfights and everything else in between, uh, 
on page 139, for those listeners that are following along, they, they talk about Chet fighting. And it is really, his fighting style is to completely lighten the tension of everybody else's he, fighting style. He pulls the sombrero down over the guy's eyes, right? And then yeah. just runs around and circles around him or something? Yeah, no. Uh, all right, Chet, who has selected Vincenzo's companion as his opponent, has pulled the Mexican sombrero down over his eyes. The stocky man ran around the cave frantically trying to pull up the hat. Yeah. But leading to that... We have, in a lightning move, Joe darted forward head low. He smashed into the midriff of an Indian who jackknifed onto Joe's shoulder, then snapping to an upright position. He flung the man to the floor. Then we have Frank caught the second guard squarely on the chin and knocked him unconscious. Then he quickly untied his brother's hands. Vincenzo lashed out and sent Tico sprawling to the ground. Frank gave chase and downed Vincenzo with a flying tackle. They rolled across the ground, locked in a fierce struggle. Chet, who had selected Vincenzo's companion as his opponent, had pulled a Mexican sombrero down over his eyes. I mean, really? No, it's like Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal with Charlie Chaplin. You know what I mean? Like, oh, wait, what? Like, that's his fighting style, but that's great. Sometimes he just tackles people or whatever. He throws a barrel at a guy. A barrel of... Chet chooses to like pull the sombrero over the head, like not square him, like punch him squarely in the nose or this, kick him in the nuts. The thing that I love about this though, and it's it's one of those moments in the Hardy Boys that I love the most, is that they're about to be tortured. Guy's got a hot coal or a brand that he's taken out of these hot coals. He's gonna burn Joe in the face. And rather than like allow it to happen or wait for a rescue, everyone just freaks out. Joe just beats the crap out of the guy who's trying to and part of their plan is joe picks up a barrel of oil and just starts a massive fire which i was like whoa what okay so now there's now they're in a cave a giant cave there's a huge roaring fire he smashes into the midriff of the indian who jackknifed onto joe's shoulder like he just like bum rushes him yeah they do Now, I've talked about this before. I'm pretty sure the Hardy Boys share a room because they talked about that before. And I think that they lay in their beds at night in the dark and talk about things like, okay, let's say that we're tied up in a cave and there's like, you know, some cultists and there's like a big fire, right? Uh, And they're going to they're going to throw us in the fire. Maybe they're going to like cut our hands off or brand us. What do we do? And he's like, okay, you wait until you're just about to be branded and then you jackknife him in the in the stomach. Then I'm going to charge him. They've got plans for every situation. Every situation. And then all of a sudden my right elbow is going to like go into like the left jugular. Chet's, and... Chet's going to pull the sombrero down over his eyes. Um, but they get trapped and they realize they can't come out. So eventually they realize they just have to come out, right? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of that. And, and Vincenzo I... says to them, you're too troublesome to be kept here. I shall have you all sent to a place from which you will never escape. You're going to take an undersea voyage. And I wrote, dude, you could have killed them so many times. Nobody believes you're going to kill these boys. You have lost all authority, all believability. Well, and he ran away from the and initial. And he ran away. Yeah. So it's like hard to take him seriously as a threat at this point. But then he's like, oh my God, wah ha ha ha. To the submarine you go. It's pretty great. I was psyched that they got to get on the submarine. Yeah. They find out that those weird rubber-coated things in the cave that they found were dracones, which are just, oh, I don't know if these are a thing that are commonly used anymore, but it seems like the absolute worst idea ever. The idea is that you fill giant nylon bags or canvas 
coated nylon containers with, with oil. tens of gallons of oil. And then you drag them, you tow them behind a submarine through the open water. And I'm like, it just seems like those are guaranteed to get sliced open and just leak a, leak oil. Oil. Whatever, though. It's just oil have, in the and ocean. And we would have the pictures of the... Sorry, what? We would have the pictures of the ducks, you know? Right. That's no point of. No. But, I mean, I just love that that was a thing that was, like, the height of technology when this book was written. And now I right. read that I mean, and I'm absolutely. like, oh, God, But no. at the same time, you're like, but what about, the, like, the boxes labeled machinery? Right. I thought that was for... So, is it crude oil? What exactly are they fucking What are smoking? they mining? Yeah, something important. They keep calling it oil. We're just going to say it's oil. Yeah. Um, let's see. They're loaded on the... Uh... Oh, Frank realizes that he knows what the dracones are because he read an article. Joe's widened. He's like, you're right. That must be it. I recall you showing me an article about that several months ago. That's the second time that happened in this book where Frank's like, I read an article. And Joe's like, I remember you showing me that article. Yeah, because we're, we're the Hardy Boys in the chair. If I was sitting around my apartment and my brother was like, hey, man, I just read this article about a new way of shipping oil. I think you'd be interested in it. And he handed me, I'd be like, I'm not. Really I'm not interested in this right in any now. way. <laughs> nope. Same um, thing about that stupid desert water thing you tried to get me to read. I, I, I'm not, I don't care. Right, with the headlight and the wet. And the so now they're riding away on the submarine, right? Yes. Where they put the narcoleptic guard? Well, the narcoleptic guard, but this is my favorite. Does Chet have a list? Why? What does he say? Or is tub slang word for sub on 146? But the door is locked, Chet said in a hushed voice. We can't break it down. Every crewman on this tub would hear us. Oh, I think that's just like the colloquialism for like boat, right? This old tub. I like but to think that, that he's like this Chet tub. Has a list. Oh god, that would have made his character even better. Maybe it's well, tub has a list. Like maybe, maybe the maybe tub with Hera. Every crewman on this tub is gonna hear us. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's like, pretty great. I mean, it's, now it's, I want to read him with a list from the rest kind of the time. Of choice. What I liked is that they're like they pick this one particular guard that the that the boss is like you gotta watch these boys. No, 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 yeah, it's another crew. Yeah, because crum- they're a danger, and we've been, like, oh, trying to no one, them yeah, this entire No one, yeah, we got to make sure that this that these boys don't get out. And then the one of the crewmen is like, the boss says you had to watch him. I don't know why he picked you. You're always falling asleep. And the guard's like, I don't fall asleep. And then he falls asleep in a couple minutes. But I like that they have a, that they picked the one narcoleptic guy, the guy who's notoriously sleepy, to be the guard. But I also like that he's, I was afraid. That of all of the stereotypes, we were going to meet a lot of real sleepy people in Mexico. <laughs> and I'm glad that we only met one. Yeah, just one. Yeah, on this ship. And it became like a thing that other people mocked him about. But he falls, he falls asleep right away. They're able to take the pins out of the door on a the submarine. Pin, the pins out of the door on a submarine. As if they're in like can a 1990s just, condo or something. Like, can we just talk about that? For they're not second? welded in place. They say that this is like a, a Navy vessel that's it's been... Like a ding- now we've escaped. We're so the they just, boys. So they just take the, the door off the boys. hinges. Oh, Easy. By, by the way, Chet does say somewhere, oh, in this chapter, he says leaping sailfish instead of leaping lizards. I also I have leaping lizards here, though. And I wrote, stop it, stop it, stop it, after he said leaping lizards for the fifth time in this book. I wrote, oh. stop it, stop it, stop it. Top of 151. Yep. Leaping oh, sailfish. 
That's awesome. So they their plan is that they're going to um, disable the submarine mm-hmm. so that they have to surface for air. Mm-hmm. The last thing I would want to do if I was in a submarine is disable it. Because I feel like that would be... It a... would go... Yeah. Oh, wait. Let's try that again. It would go... That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Um, and then they're like, we got to go to the engine room and disable the batteries. Oh, yeah. They, they, they know how I'm, to take out a sub. I'm Joe Hardy, and I know exactly uh, what how I'm submarines work. Blah, blah, blah. Like, so they beat up the guard. Back to the they steal his yeah. costume. That's classic. Joe got wanted to do that earlier, but he got to do it finally. Take mm-hmm. a guard and steal his costume. Yeah, because Frank got to do it with yeah. the Senor Marchetta. So he's like, so second disguise, which is great. But he's sneaking through the sub, and he's being very... But he beats the crap out of the guy who's working in the engine room. Knocks him out with one punch, which I think they don't, like, that's amazing. Oh, my God. We have to play bingo. I definitely know that there are some flying fists. Okay, great. Yeah, definitely some, uh, so we're, we're getting there. Fist fight. He just throws a barrel of oil onto the batteries. Mm-hmm. Because I, there's a barrel of oil. Oh, yeah, there was just a barrel of oil. I don't know if anybody mentioned that. Nobody had until he grabbed it. He glanced around until he spotted a drum of oil. Then he shoved it. Onto the batteries, basically. I love that, because glancing around, like, on a podcast, can I just act that for you? Yes. Uh, uh, oh. Yeah, I imagine that he started in one corner of the room, swept the room once, there was nothing, swept the room again, there was nothing, swept the room a third time, barrel of oil. Yeah, exactly. And it's like Scooby-Doo, where there's, like, a bunch of barrels, but the barrel he picks up is colored different from the other barrels. Mm-hmm. Then it gets, I didn't, I didn't think it could get crazier torpedo tube so they now the ship is freaking out everybody's everybody's like on the ship is panicking the boys have only one chance to escape and whose idea is it joe oh okay frank immediately sensed what his brother had in mind i wrote no you don't mean the torpedo tubes why not joe insisted by now we can't be too far from shore i'll file you fell i'll fire you fellows through the tubes i understand there's nothing to it where would what why would you know anything about this but it means leaving you behind, Frank retorted. Nothing doing. Don't worry about me, Joe replied. I'm sure I can get away. They're From so confident. In the middle of the ocean. And I literally wrote this. Threw the book down when they escaped the sub by being shot into the ocean Out of... from a torpedo tube. Yeah, they get in torpedo casings? Is that what happened? Because... Maybe. Or do they just get... I think what would actually happen shot if there was no torpedo in a torpedo tube and you put somebody in it... in the fucking ocean. Right through the propellers. Right through, you're it's like, the... like, like, like yeah, you're mouthful all... of ocean water. Like... <laughs> and you're like way under the water. But no, they fire each of the boys out of the torpedo tubes. I got all at once. Yeah, all in one torpedo tube. Okay. That's right. They all climb in together. Uh, oh, no, here's what it is. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. Reluctantly, Frank, Tico, and Chet selected one of the four torpedo tubes and climbed inside. He slammed the hatches shut and fired. By the way, Tico was found. Oh, yeah, and we Chet. Picked that back. back when they got kidnapped. <laughs> Right. I'll I'll go back and and address that. But when they got kidnapped, all the other kidnapped people were there as well, so they like reconnected with them. And Joe charges through. Uh he flattened himself against the bulkhead adjacent door. A bunch of people run past him, it's that very like hiding in a small doorway. And then he starts talking to himself. He's like, Take it easy. Don't it's look cool. suspicious. Don't shh, don't talk to yourself. Oh, I'm so cool. And he's easily like <laughs> 
20 years younger than everyone else on this ship and white. That doesn't matter. So he climbs out on, once they surface, he climbs out on the deck. He gets onto the coning tower and then he dives into the water and manages to find the torpedo boys, right? When he gets up onto the beach, he starts shouting their names. After, uh, oh, who was it? Chet? Chet, did he have a mouthful of water? Or two oh, goat? that's right. Uh, Chet like, just like swallowed a bit drowned. too much. He almost drowned. <laughs> Are you fellows okay? Just fine. Speak for yourself, mastermind, snapped Chet. So being shot out of a torpedo tube is easy, you said. Next time I'll try it from a cannon. Chet swallowed a little bit too much water. He's okay. Yeah, so he's we, fine. He's we fine. rode on one of the dracones for a few minutes till he got his breath. Then we swam ashore. Everyone's fine. Yeah. And they met each other within minutes of getting to the shore. Yeah. So all of that is insane submarine escape. And then what? Do the cops show up? The Mexican army. Mexican oh, Jose, army. Jose Arandas. The helicopters. The helicopter. Oh, right. Because things. this. This is when I started to go. Isn't it over yet? <laughs> Which is weird because they do one of the strangest things ever. They're trying to track down somebody in the in the spy chain, the radio spy chain. And the way they do it is by – they use Arandas' walkie-talkie. And then they make – sorry, I'm trying to figure this out exactly right because it's so freaking weird. They improvise a directional antenna from a length of wire and attach it to the radio. That should do it. Then, that, that should do it. So then they ride around until they get the signal of one of the spies. And they mark it on the map where they were. And then they go to another area and get a signal from the from the spies. And they mark that on the map. And then they use those radio signals to triangulate the location. They do this over the course of like five, six minutes. Yeah. Hey, man. It's like, like when what? did you become motherfucking MacGyver? Yeah. Oh, so the Hardy Boys have never triangulated radio signals before? Of course they have. You just didn't see it. But no, they, it takes them. Definitely not before book 13. They draw a rough sketch of the village to scale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They do this all in minutes. Mm -hmm. They're kind of idiot savants. I really like this though. It was already dark by the time Tico returned with the soldiers. The Hardys told the lieutenant about their discovery. And I wrote, he did not believe them. Because that would be my response. It's like, you did, you did what with my radio? Oh God. And then Frank gets taken off on a fucking horse again. Oh, that's right. Because as they're investigating the hacienda where they think that the spy is hiding, all of a sudden, one of the uh, helicopters takes off. The police army helicopters. Because Vincenzo has circled back and stolen a helicopter. Frank gets on horseback and is like, I got this. Never mind. I got this. It's fine. It's okay. It's okay, Dad. And just, oh, yeah. Dad Dad's not been... here. Oh, Still in Mexico. Yet? Did he come back yet? No, I'm I don't think he sure. comes back. I think it's he... the very, very end. Yeah, it doesn't look like Fenton is back yet. Damn. Yeah, it looks like Frank takes off. Oh, that's right. No, they're surrounded by riders. Okay, I completely forgot. It looks like they're about to get, uh, when they track the radio signals to the Hacienda, and they get to the old headquarters, and uh, they get surrounded by the bad guys. A helicopter shows up overhead. Oh. And lands, and the bad guys run away, and the people in it inside, because, yeah, inside are Frank and Joe. Or, no, Joe and his dad that have caught up with Frank. And Frank is uh, is surprised to see them, but... Like, oh my gosh, I just took off I can't believe you came back, yeah. Yeah. And so, Mr. Hardy says, I received the message... (laughs) I received the message you boys relayed to me in Mazatlan. 
and Jack flew me to Baja right away. There, the Mexican army had a helicopter waiting to take me to Aranda's camp. So... Yeah, because you know Oh, that's I mean, the like, helicopter that gets stolen, right? Yeah. Because then the bad guy, after all of this, they beat... They, they, I mean, they have some food and stuff, but then they catch the bad guys, and Vincenzo manages to run away... They have some food. They have some food. They have to have they have fried chicken. Is what they have. They have a basket of fried chicken. I guess I don't know. Um, <laughs> but they end up chasing the crook, right? Mm-hmm. That's the Who final stole thing. Who stole the helicopter? Who stole the helicopter? Yeah. And they've rescued a, a, a tremor, right? At this point. Elmer Tremor. I can't remember. It all falls apart at the end here. I know. It all happens so fast. Fenton shows up. The bad guy, Pavura, Vincenzo, Cardio, whatever you want to call him, he steals the helicopter that Fenton showed up in while they're all dealing with some other criminals, and flies to the coast. Everybody chases after them, but Joe and... To try and, and get his other submarine, because there I, are two submarines. There are two submarines. So they are trying to get to the coast. They're trying to get to the... To catch up with the bad guy before he gets on another submarine and escapes for good. And don't they, like... They end up catching it. Yeah, they catch him. It seems like they're gonna. They're not oh, going to. This is... This right here is the... Best description of who they've been chasing. It wasn't until the stock fraud case came up, Mr. Hardy explained, that Senor Marchetta discovered Vincenzo was actually a very clever confidence man. I'm I'm pretty sure that is like the long version of con man. It is. That's what con man is short for. All right. Uh, he has been involved in everything from selling stolen goods on an international scale to peddling worthless stock in a diamond mine. And now selling crude oil with two... He's a white-collar criminal. Very, yeah. very white-collar. Yeah. Um, they end up on the uh, top of a... Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's on the top of a... Of the submarine about to get in. The bad guy is. And Joe throws a, a rock at him. They threw a they threw a boulder at him, and then that's how they catch the guy, and then they beat him up. They just beat him up with okay. their fists and knocked him unconscious. Knocked him, him unconscious, laid him out flat. All that's KO'd him. Um, they find the pilot of the helicopter that the guy stole. I guess he hijacked it. Um, but didn't like the the fuel tank get shot, shot up one of the helicopters? There was a lot of stuff here at the end. Yeah. But the most important thing is that they found out. What the submarines were all about. They were stealing oil. They because found out where the missing the, bookkeeper was. What, what's not normal about a gang of submarines? Yeah, so a gang using submarines. They found out uh, who Cardio was. They found out, most importantly, what's up with the Ira Q? Why'd that guy have that boat? Yeah. Um, and then uh, let's not forget about all the missing people. All the missing people that they found. They found Juan. They found Senora missing husbands. They did find uh, Husbands. They found Tico and Chet. And Elmer and Tre- Elmer Tremor. What were the criminals' plans with these people? Well, and they then, were getting and, quite no, a collection. And then the, then the Senorita's uh, husband, yeah. amigos. All the amigos as the well. Amigos too. They were keeping all of them fed. Yeah. And like because well, they were helping to build. Oh, the that's right. They had enslaved them. Railroad track. Yeah. To, yeah, that's right. They had enslaved them. Okay, that makes sense. Then pretty much immediately. The Argentinian Navy finds another submarine, and they realize that they've caught the last submarine. It's all wrapped. That winds up the case, Joe said with a wide grin. But he was looking forward to another challenging mystery to solve. Junkie, junkie, junkie. 
in the near future, the young detectives would tackle the Hidden Harbor Mystery. God, and I literally wrote title of the next book, yay Always. or nay. We need to finish bingo, because I think I have bingo. So, a new vehicle? Did they get a new vehicle? A helicopter. I guess they, they did have, but that was an army helicopter. That wasn't their helicopter. Sorry. Sorry. Also, they've ridden in several helicopters. Usually they crash. Boys definitely got tied up. There was definitely sabotage when they threw, when they ruined those freaking batteries. Fist fights for sure. A ghost. Was anybody actually injured? Didn't somebody get covered in like burning oil? I don't know. I don't have that one. Man, I am so close to so I'm many bingos. Fine. I know, me too. What do you need? What would you need to make a bingo? A new vehicle. That's the last one you need. <laughs> well, not in this one. I'm sorry. Damn it. So close, but no cigar. Or Mrs. Hardy leaves the house in a gunfight. Well, there was definitely a gunfight between the army and and the crooks. All right. But I don't think Mrs. Hardy left the house in this one. What about the queen? The queen didn't show up either. Damn it, bitch. Yeah, I feel like we got... Look at that. Oh, I know. So you've got so many almost bingos. I've got two. If I had a picnic or a red herring. I have one, two, three. I have three. Three almost bingos. Damn you, Hardy boy. Well, you have to Damn come you, back. Damn I say. Okay next time well that was awesome what'd you think of that adventure the mark on the door the mark on the door all those bundles of burning faggots left a mark on my door oh 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 okay wait how many should have died i counted 22 times when i read this five you found three more in your death experiences i think that's pretty par for the course they almost died 25 times in the course of probably seven days I don't know how long the time frame is of this, because like you said, the whole time scale is completely screwed up. Totally. All right. Well, uh, everybody, that was the the mark on the door with my good friend Missy Moore. Missy, so other than reading Amazing Children's Mysteries, what have you been up to lately? I heard you went on an awesome trip. I did. I uh, covered uh, Los Angeles, Eugene, Bend, Sacramento, back to L.A. in three days. In three days. And that was with your sister? Uh Uh-huh. So you were helping... You were helping reclaim? Yeah. Uh, she just had uh, her camping gear and her snowboarding gear chilling at a friend's house in Bend. And we decided to go see the White Buffalo and Eugene to kind of make it a trip. That's awesome. And it was epic and amazing. Like an M&M adventure always. Awesome. Okay. Well, th- Missy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Charles. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey there, detectives. Thanks for tuning in. We are doing things a little bit differently for the bar segment this episode. I'm joined with my co-producer and brother, Jack Wepso. Cheers. Cheers. And he and I are, are sipping delicious margaritas. Yeah, you made these margaritas, Yes, by I the did way. make these and margaritas. And I'm going to talk to you about this recipe in just a second. Fantastic. Um, we are sipping margaritas, obviously, because the boys just went to Mexico. And the reason we decided not to do a bar segment this time is because Missy Moore was our guest for this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, talented actress. And Missy recently... And director. And director. And teacher. Writer, and teacher. Pretty, fight choreographer. Yeah, fight choreographer and on and, on and on and on. Unbelievably talented. Bartender. But, yep. Yeah. In her own right. Mm-hmm. But the... Uh, Missy just did a episode of Siren Song that we did with the Colorado Symphony. That's right. Siren Song, A Pirate Odyssey. A Pirate Odyssey. The show is, that we've been working on for a while. You've mentioned it on the, on the yes, podcast. Yes, I mentioned it. I've plugged it. I've asked people to go, and some of you have, and I appreciate that. Siren Song, we've been working on it for the last two years, mm-hmm. yep. and it is the 
latest chapter of Bunport All Ages Theater. Correct. And Jack, you have been working with Bunport All Ages for how many years now? Long time. I first got invited to join Bunport All Ages when they were doing a show called Trunks, which was uh, Trunks, a live action comic book. And, uh, Which was fantastic. Oh, Everybody yeah. Loved it. Yeah, I played a... Uh, I, basically, I, I got asked to guest star on the show, and I don't think they really realized when they asked me just kind of how into the idea of episodic theater I was going to be. And then they, I feel like they were kind of stuck with me. Yeah. And they kind of had to offer me uh, a, a, a kind of more recurring role. For but, those of you not in the know, Trunks was an amazing show. Uh, who were the, the main regulars of Trunks? Well, the the core cast of Trunks was uh, Jess Robley as yes. Trixie Trudfelt, who has been a host on the show. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jess has been on the show. Mitch Slevic, who has also been also on been the on the show, show. Uh, who played uh, Walter Cosmic, aka the Bolt, and then the third member of their trio uh, was a giant uh, Amazonian Scottish parrot psychologist yes. named Scott Scott Scott, Scott Parrot. And uh, Scott was played by many Denver actors over the years. Scott's really just a costume that different but that Scott different actors won. Wear. He won actor. an award. Yeah, he won a uh, 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 Denver Post Ovation Award back when they used to hand those out. Uh, they are now called the True West Awards, and John Moore, who um, uh, still did them for the Denver Post, does them now. But uh, yeah, he won a uh, Scott Parrot uh, won Best Children's Theater Actor. Which I think was a nod to the yes. many, many actors that have performed the role of Scott, and more than that, a nod to all of the Bunport, you know, right. children. He, he was thing. a good representation of the exactly, show exactly. And then <clears throat> Trunks went for how many years? Eight. Trunks ran for eight years, uh, but I didn't join until near the end, yeah, the yeah, last, last two or two three years. years. And then, uh, and then after that, they asked me to come on as a permanent cast member for the next. Uh, iteration of the All Ages show, which was a show called Duck Duck Doop. If you imagine like a vaudeville variety show matched with a game show, yeah, that's kind of the feel that it had. There were um, four ply hats, there were suspenders. Exactly, was, yeah. that's right. And we told the audience three stories, two of which were based on cold hard fact. One of them made up out of thin air. It's nothing but a doop. Exactly right. Yeah. And uh, we did that show for four years, and it was a tremendous wow. amount of fun. And it was again. It was Jess uh, Robley and Mitch Levick and Josh Hartwell were writing the scripts right. for it. Who has also been a host on the show? Yeah, that's right. Josh has also yes. been on the show. A lot of unporters come around. Yeah, there. that's very very true. And you, I think you've got more in the stable coming up. Hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be nice. And uh, we did that. Sh- we did that show for four years, uh, and then well, you came on board with uh, Siren right. Song. In uh, what would that have been? Two thousand sixteen, I guess. Yeah. So for the last two years, I have been incredibly fortunate to get to write uh, a new episode of Siren Song every single month Mm -hmm. and uh, I have met some absolutely incredible people that I never would have met through absolutely uh, yeah through this great show including Missy Moore who was our guest yes well I knew Missy yeah through you that's true yeah but Missy has been a uh, one of our regular and most favorite uh, guests from uh, on episodes of Siren Song Mm -hmm. yeah she's played multiple roles she's played um, an old lady who lived in the mountains. Yeah, a god goddess of the goddess mountains. of the mountains. She yeah. played a, a pirate. Yeah, she's played many other things. Yeah, fish mm-hmm. monsters. Yep, exactly, fish monsters. In uh, du- she back in Duck Duck Doop, she played a gorilla among other fantastic. Things. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we're ending Siren Song. Our last episode was May twelfth. Mm-hmm. So uh, to listeners, that happened like two days ago for us. So yeah. we're still kind of pulling ourselves. Yeah, back it's uh, it's still a little raw. Yeah, and then the weekend. 
before that? Was that just the weekend before? It was just the weekend before. Oh, my God. Crazy turnaround. Uh, we did a show with the Colorado Symphony with Missy Moore and mm-hmm. Lindsay Pierce. Yeah. Uh, that was... Did I forget anybody? No, that was... They were our guest stars. Yeah. They were our guest stars. I mean, we also had a lot of uh, additional help from the outside. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But we... Uh, but. Christopher Dragon, who was the conductor of the Colorado Symphony, was wonderful and accommodating. Mm-hmm. Everybody that we worked with at the yeah. symphony was great. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm never gonna forget that experience. Uh, Neither will I. Like it, was, the, it was amazing. You know, I, and I think I think it's it's safe to say now that now that you know this whole thing was over that the the process of putting this show together wasn't always easy. No, and uh, you know it's it's a lot of people in the room, and I love the collaborative nature of Buntport but well part of it was scheduling uh, very rarely were all of the cast in the same room at the same time which is incredibly it's hard to I don't rehearse. think people understand how difficult it's, it is it's to hard learn. to rehearse a play without Let everybody alone. in the room it's even harder to rehearse musical choreography with when you're like and then I pick her up and lift her through the air right exactly and also none of us were dancers right that's you know true. a lot of us are hilarious are, physical comedy actors yeah exactly a real mover Missy especially has oh, yeah. always been you know uh, uh, amazing in the movement side uh, but uh, but none of us were really um, dancers or anything like that so I think all of us stepped out of our comfort zone for this piece and I think there were a lot of times during the process uh, of the symphony show where um, it felt like we were kind of slamming our heads against the wall and are we ever going to make this work and is it, you know, are we only going to ever get it to kind of 80% and yeah, that's how it will always be. But as soon as as the Chris Dragon, as the conductor, went out there and he raised that baton in the air and he brought it down and the entire symphony started playing and we all turned to each other and we were like, this is amazing. Yeah. I'm so excited we're doing this. This is going to be great. Mm. But I am... Um, uh, I'm sipping on this uh, this uh, margarita that you made. That you well, made. is there I, anything you want to say about the end of Siren Song beyond that? Other than that, just it was an amazing, incredible experience. It was a great opportunity. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's the one of the most fun things I've ever had, and it's the most fun I've ever had writing anything in my life. Yeah, I've I've never written something uh, with so much well thought out and deliberated structure and so little sense. Yeah, uh, and I love the combination <laughs> of those things. The, Tell uh, me about this margarita now. Now, you and I share an opinion that margaritas are made overly complicated. Yes, by the people who make them, they're made overly complicated and overly sweet. Exactly. So go through you, when your when your average listener orders a margarita. Go through what normally happens. Right. So I've worked at college bars, I've worked at casino bars, and uh, depending on the quality of the establishment that you go into, and you should always remember that your drink is only as good as the cheapest ingredient that goes into your drink. It's a good rule of thumb. Right. So the lowest quality ingredient in the drink will be the bar at which that drink can sit. uh, When you go into a restaurant, or or usually not, but if you go into a place and you order a margarita, they are going to take Jose Cuervo, Mm -hmm. or whatever their well tequila is, Ron Diaz, something like that. They pour a shot, maybe two shots, into ice. Then they take a bright green Mr. T, Mr. and Mrs. T's margarita mix. Yeah. They fill it. They stir it. They put a lime in it, and they serve it to you. And Mr. T's is almost entirely sugar. It's it's closer to Kool-Aid than anything else. Yeah, that's what it tastes like if you drink it without any liquor in it. Right. It tastes like Kool-Aid. It tastes like Kool-Aid. And yeah. that's what you get when you order a drink. And 
you're going to get that drink and it's going to taste uh, bad and it's going to give you a headache because yeah, it has so much sour sugar in it and, and, and it's too yeah, sour yeah. and it's too sweet more than anything so right. the flavors aren't balanced. Margaritas are so easy. It's it, it's bizarre that they think that they need to try to simplify them because there are three ingredients. You need tequila, a good quality tequila. You need triple sec of some type. Of some type. Yeah. Use Cointreau. There's no reason not to. It's the best out there. It has the most consistent delicious flavor it's not gonna break your bank no it's not and you can also use it in sidecars and stuff like that it's versatile and and you don't really drink a lot of triple sec like neither on its own so it's all in the back you buy a bottle and you just keep it forever forever. yeah and then lime juice yeah and and of course salt to rim the glass right and uh and i like i love a lot i love a lot of salt yeah i yeah you and i both when we go out to eat we will order a little extra like yeah i I, I, like bring me a shot glass full of salt i don't use a whole shot glass full of salt but but you, I, yeah, sprinkle it in the drink as you drink it, and you just do the classic three, two, one, which our dad taught us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and now I have. It's the most versatile rule in the world, and anybody who makes any type of cocktail needs to know the three, two, one rule. I think David Embry was the name of the guy who wrote Six Essential Cocktails, but he was a cocktail book writer who wrote a very hysterical. I think it was the nineteen forties. He wrote a cocktail book that's really funny, uh, really. Uh, opinionated and political and all that great stuff and he uh outlined the construction of a drink which for him i think his was like a one two eight it's okay. all parts but three two one works perfectly right you have a base you have a modifying agent and you have a flavor and all cocktails all the classic cocktails are built with this ingredients for a manhattan your base is rye whiskey your modifying agent is your sweet vermouth, and your flavoring is your bitters. So in that case, you would use uh, three parts of your rye. Yep. You would use two parts, two parts of vermouth. your sweet vermouth. And because it's bitters, you do a dash, but one part yeah. of whatever your modifying agent is. A daiquiri, uh-huh. rum, uh, lime juice, and simple syrup. So there should be three times as much rum as there is simple syrup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And twice as much lime juice as there is simple syrup. Right. It's an easy way to balance drink. Margaritas are the exact same. Three parts tequila, two parts triple sec, one part lime juice. It doesn't have to get yeah. any more complicated. And it doesn't have to be three shots of tequila. No. Like, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, for me, I usually, people have their own, and I'm sure there are exact measurements for what's supposed to be a part in cocktails. Yeah. Depending on the glass is what I usually decide how many ounces are in the glass. But I usually use half a shot, half an ounce as my part. So I would do one and a half shots of tequila, a full shot of Cointreau, mm-hmm. and half a shot of, of lime. fresh squeezed lime juice. Well, I gotta say, it tastes amazing. It tastes amazing. It's simple yeah. and refreshing. You can serve it over ice. You can... I don't like blended margaritas because they melt too fast and yeah. then it's watered down. Yeah. I just like to shake it 15 to 20 seconds till it's absolute, till the ice is absolutely pulverized, mm-hmm. and then pour it, uh, you know, just break your shaker and then just pour it in the glass. Yeah. And it's so simple. It doesn't need to be... As complicated yeah. and you don't sweet. have to, and you don't have to buy those sugary juices and stuff. No, there's yeah. no reason for that stuff. And I definitely recommend having good tequila when you're going to make margaritas. But if you have any quality of tequila and you feel like it's too harsh or even it just tastes too much like tequila, you just add half a shot or less of simple syrup. And just sweeten it up a little bit. Yeah. But a margarita should really be as sweet as a lime is. And limes yeah. are naturally sweet. 
And, uh, yeah, so to celebrate the boys going down Mexico way, mm -hmm. down South America way. Well, no, that's Portugal. You're right, but, right, yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. But, yeah, I think it was a good fit, so cheers. Cheers, absolutely. And so long to Buntport All Ages. Oh, I'm gonna, it makes me so sad, but it just means that there's new things in our future. Absolutely. Yeah. So, like, at any rate. Oh, right, we can talk about that. Well, uh, well uh, you know, we have a new web series. It's called At Any Rate. You can watch it at AtAnyRateShow.com, and we will have more news to share with that in the future. Okay, thanks, listeners. See you soon. The Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast is produced by Jack and Charles Webster. It is a part of their network. Our graphic design is done by Kristen Hallstrom, and our theme song is by Danny Overby at Round 2 Productions. Special thanks to Missy Moore and to everyone from Siren Song. We're going to miss writing that ridiculous show. Thanks for sticking with us, and tune in soon for The Hardy Boys Drink Book, number 14, The Hidden Harbor Mystery, featuring Patrick Sullivan. <laughs>